This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody. It's Tom Burgoyne along with John Brazier. Hello, John. John, every time we play that song, you, you shimmy. It's, you love that, our theme song, don't well, you? I, it's at Skip Denenberg. Yeah. Uh, I was a local, uh, local and national artist, and uh, it's very, uh, very proud that we have a uh, theme song, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially from Skip. I mean, he's legendary. Kevin so, Franson uh, doesn't have a theme song, does no, he? No. <laughs> Kevin Franson <laughs> a Scott theme Fransky song. Scott Franson doesn't have a no, theme song. No, no. Just us. Just we're, us. We're rock stars. Exactly right. Uh, speaking of rock stars, guess who we have on the line? We're really pumped to have Brad Lidge calling in today. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing fantastic, guys. And you guys are definitely rock stars. That was a pretty <laughs> sweet theme song right there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Were you, were you, did you pull out the air guitar while you were on hold there, Brad? Oh, for sure. You should have seen me. I was like, you know, I had my, my, my fist up in the air. Well, you know what, Tom, I got it. Now we said that uh, rock stars. Now that I think about it, Brad, we've, we've done a lot of uh, back in your playing days of the Phillies. We went to a lot of really cool concerts and backstage, uh, mm. right? Situations. Talk about some of the, some of the we, shows we, we saw. Yeah, we had a pretty good run of it. Um, we got to, uh, well, I think Drowning Pool was the one that you maybe didn't go with us, and probably that was a good idea, Brace, because it was it got a little out of control on their <laughs> uh, on their tour bus. It was a, it was actually a really fun show, and uh, it was in Atlantic City, and uh, yeah, that was a, that was a long night. But uh, we, you know, on on the more mellow side, uh, we got to hang out with Jack Johnson quite a lot backstage. Yeah, and uh, you know, I still have my uh, the first guitar I ever got. Uh, I brought it to the um, I can't remember where the heck he played. Maybe it was at the Spectrum, but. Um, no, I think he was I at he was at the Man Music and... Center. That was at the oh, Man, yeah, yeah, which is the out, outdoor venue. Yes, and uh, you know he, he he met me in the parking lot. I, I think he hooked that up for me, and he uh, you know got my guitar, and he's like he's like, well, show me what you know. And of course, at that time, I didn't know. And he's like, all right, well, here here's some basics. And he, he proceeded to give me like a five minute lesson right wow. there in the parking lot. Of course, he's in he's in bare feet, you know, because right. that's just how he rolls. And I'm like, dude, you're going to step up the flat. Like, dude, I want to put some shoes on a flip-flop or something. <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, so we got to have uh, some really cool experiences and all part of the perks of being uh, a Philly in, in, in those those good old days. Well, well I, it's a perk of being John Brazier's friend, too. He's got the, uh, the, the all the concert true. connections, Brad. Well, Brad, also, I don't know if you ever heard this story. We've told this story, but I'm going to have to say it again for, for Brad. But uh, one of uh, Burgoyne's favorite bands is Little Feet. Um, and we happen to be good friends with the uh, former lead. Unfortunately, he passed away last year, uh, Paul Barrere. But uh, he invited us. To, we, we went to a concert one time, and uh, 
Am I allowed to tell the story, Tom? Yeah, you well, you already have, I think, I, on our podcast. I know, but, but we can say it again. A yeah, go ahead. Different audience. And so Tom and I are watching this concert. Great show. And uh, it's getting towards the end, and they're in the middle of this jam. And all of a sudden, Tom said, you know, whispers to me, says, I'll be right back. So I'm assuming he's going to the bathroom, or he's getting a beer or doing something. So he, he's gone. He's gone for five minutes. He's gone for 10 minutes. gone for 15 minutes. I'm still not really obviously concerned. He's not my problem. And, and I'm watching the con and I'm watching the concert. So next thing you know, uh, again, like in a little bit, I see the fanatic come rolling down, running down the, it's at this place called the Keswick theater, which is an indoor place. He goes running down the middle aisle. And next thing you know, he jumps up on stage and the fanatic is literally jamming with little feet, you know, a world-class band and he's up there and the band's kind of, they were having fun. I mean, I guess it could have gone two ways either really bad or really good and they loved it uh and brad i mean they're oh, like awesome. they're my top five bands of all time so i i was like you know on cloud nine I, you know i was living the dream and the fanatics obviously wow <laughs> well, that's a pretty that's that's a pretty tough experience to top right there that's that's as good as well, it gets. Did, right did, now. Uh, the fact that you weren't just kicked off the stage is fantastic. <laughs> no, yeah, he, no, Paul Barrera looked down. And he's like, "Yo," you know, he said, he, he brought the fanatic up. But uh, and Jack Johnson that year, he he came to a, a game. Was he did? Yeah, yep. he came to a game. Yeah, yeah. super. As Brad said, just what a laid back, mm. chill. You know, as you could expect as a surfer guy. Hey, to Brad, Brad, did you ever meet? Um, uh, Pearl Jam. Um, Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder, because I know Raul was you know such a fan. I'll tell you what, one of the one of the biggest regrets of my entire career, I have to say, without a doubt, is, is during that World Series in 2009, we're playing the Yanks, and we have that day off, and, and Eddie Vedder comes out, Pearl Jam comes out, and they're closing out the spectrum, and uh, so, you know, Raul uh, lets me know, and, and um, the, the worst thing I ever, the worst thing that ever happened to me is that I got swine flu during that World Series, so I actually had to miss... Uh, uh, one game, and I had another one where where the it was actually on the day off was like the peak of it. I had like 103 something temperature, and mm. that night was the concert. Uh, you know where where Raul was like, you got to get going. I was like, this is going to be the worst experience ever because I'm laying in bed and right. I have like no chance. I'm you know trying to put on a sock, I just collapse. I'm like, honey, I'm not going to be able to make the Pearl Jam concert. And she knows how much I love Pearl Jam, so that really hurt. Eddie Vedder gave me a shout-out during the concert, <sighs> and it, it was like, I, I missed it. I wasn't even there. Now, thank God, because uh, I, I tell my friends that, and they're like, he did not. You know, that didn't happen. But thank God they made a Pearl Jam closing out the Spectrum, you know, CD uh, arrangement, and, uh, you know, so I bought it right away to, to listen for it, and sure enough, he, he gave me a shout-out there. So that was like... That was the, like the one big regret I have is I never got to hang out with Eddie Vedder because I guess Raul and some other guys who were with him did. And, uh, man, I wish I could have that back, uh, you know, non-swine flu symptom. And, Brad, what a, awesome. I was there. I went with uh, Raul. I helped set that up. And I, went, I think it was Scott Ayer, uh, Raul, myself, a couple other people. Uh, and I got to, we went, you know, in the green room before he, before Pearl Jam went on stage. Uh, and and he came he came separately, I think, the year before. Uh, in 2008, he came uh, to a game, and I remember Raul came up to me and said, "Hey, John, I got this friend of mine who's coming to the game. He doesn't know anybody. He's never been to the ballpark. Can you take him around?" I said, "Sure. Just give me his name or or give my name." He said, "I'll give you his name. His name's a guy named Eddie Vetter. He's in a band called Pearl Jam." <laughs> and I'm looking at Raul, and Raul's such a nice guy. You don't you don't know whether he's messing with you or whether he's you know dead serious. Uh, right. And he was dead serious. He didn't right. know if I knew the band Pearl Jam. I'm like, uh, "Yeah, Raul, I can I can uh, handle that one." So couldn't have been a cooler guy. Absolutely cool guy. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I know he's a huge baseball fan, and, uh, you know, I know he's a, obviously we saw what a big uh, big Cubs fan he is. So he definitely keeps in, uh, you know, he, he knows the game pretty well. I think he played a lot growing up. So uh, that's pretty cool. And Eddie Vedder definitely on my uh, 
top 10 all-time musicians. Uh, and, you know, in our, I, we have employees who went to that concert. Not to rub it in anymore, but I ran into people after that concert. I've never seen Pearl Jam before, but they said that concert last night, and even uh, Pierre Robert on WLMR, you know, they were saying, that was like the greatest concert, you know, Pearl Jam's ever put, put on. It's like, oh, man. Well, that was the same uh, night as the gala. Sorry, Brad, I shouldn't have said Yeah, because that. that was the same night as the gala. The man, ga- you, I mean, you are killing me right now. This is <laughs> All right, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little. We certainly want to talk to you about 2008, but just if, if we go back a little bit before that, you know, you, you were born in California, you moved to Colorado, and this is the thing that I just want to ask you about because I, I couldn't imagine being put in this position. You, you, you dominate in high school, and uh, the Giants um, drafted you, right? And uh, I just can't yeah. imagine, John, can you imagine getting drafted, you know, no matter how old you are, and then saying, no, I'm going to go to college. Like, you know, and I know it happens, I guess, all the time, you know, but still, what, yeah. what were you thinking? You, you must have, you know, I don't know, it's confidence in your ability. Is it because you wanted to go to college and experience and do the college life thing? You know, what, what were you thinking at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good question because, you know, on, 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 you know, when you get drafted by a professional team, I mean, you know, kind of, I think there's a big gap, uh, you know, one thing that probably people are aware of, there's a big gap between, you know, getting drafted in the first round and getting, even back then, a million bucks, uh, or in the 42nd round, which I did, which was, I think a t-shirt, uh, from the San Francisco Giants <laughs> is what my signing bonus was. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of thought about it and here's the deal. I, I'd worked real hard in high school. I was, uh, you know, uh, somebody took my academics seriously and um I, I didn't i wasn't a big recruit until i was a senior really to be totally honest i wasn't even on varsity until i was a senior so mm. like uh, i didn't really start pitching until i was a senior and so all of a sudden i get kind of all this momentum going because i come out and every like every time i take a start i'm throwing three miles an hour harder than the one before just because i started figuring out what i was doing and, and that brought some scouts to the to the area and, uh college scouts mostly and um so it started off with like D3 colleges and then, you know, D2 and then D1. And then all of a sudden Notre Dame, uh, their, their pitching coach at that time, Brian O'Connor, who raised, you know, very well. Yep. Yeah. UVA's um, head coach right now. Is now head coach at UVA now. And, uh, you know, he saw me pitch and, and, uh, he, he, you know, gave me a call and he said, Hey, listen, we want to recruit you. We want you to come to Notre Dame and, uh, we'll try and work something out. And, and my parents are Irish Catholic. So it was like, I mean, it was like, it wasn't even a choice after that. Like, I mean, I don't even know if I was drafted in the first round if they would have let me not go to Notre Dame. So it was, uh, you know, it was a really cool ex- experience, I think, uh, just, you know, getting that phone call and being recruited by them. And so it was, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of had heard that I might get drafted, but as late as it was, and the fact that I was very raw, I think, as a, as a pitcher, I hadn't really developed a lot yet. And, you know, I hadn't really been in the weight room or doing any of the stuff that I needed to do. I kind of felt like, Hey, if I go to college for three years and I've got some good uh, coaching there, that could really improve my my draft stock. And uh, I'd also heard stories of guys being drafted late and they kind of go to the minor leagues and they, you know, they don't really get a whole lot of opportunity there. So uh, for me, it made sense. Um, I think, you know, even though I was drafted, it just didn't it just didn't line up to where it would be wise decision to go start playing professional baseball at that time. Yeah, and I guess no looking back in terms that you have a great you had three years at Notre Dame. I mean, how was just the experience of going to Notre Dame? Did you go to all the football games? Oh, yeah. Well, I went to all the football games my freshman year, all of them my sophomore year. And then my junior year, I remember somebody, uh, one of my roommates was like, you guys aren't going to believe this. And we were like, what? He's like, this guy, like two blocks down, I was just walking back. Uh, we, we were living off campus. He's like, I was walking back and he offered me like 500 bucks for my ticket. And we were like, what? 
And all of a sudden, we uh, started realizing like we could, oh. we could uh, you know, scalp some tickets here and there. We, we could, uh, we could figure this thing out. So, uh, like most kids do, I think at some point we we realized, yeah, there might be a ticket or two we want to sell. And all of a sudden, uh, we're we're good for the next two months on a, in our college budget. <laughs> yeah, you, you need a beer uh, money. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, you need beer money. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's you can only you can only you know trick your parents so much. So, uh, so yeah, we uh, we we did a little bit of that, and, and then that's kind of when I realized, like watching football. I love going to football games, you know, being in Denver, I'll go to Bronco games, but honestly, watching them on football games on TV is not a bad <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> you got a very controlled environment. So. Yeah. And you got, I, I did have yeah. a great time. Uh, yeah, I know. Sorry, I, I had a great time going to the Notre Dame games when I did. I mean, they are it's such a fun stadium, such a fun place to be. Obviously, the whole city of South Bend. Like, I like other, you know, big-time D1 programs. The whole city just shuts down, and Notre Dame has obviously so much, uh, you know, mystique attached to it. It's uh, it's a really fun place to be for, for for college football game. So, Brad, it's pretty cool that you were again. You you mentioned that you were forty second round, and then you ended up being a first round pick. So obviously that was a right decision. You get a college education at a great school, and then you know get a pick, uh, drafted by the Houston Astros. You pitched for them until I guess two thousand seven. What was it like when you knew you were coming over to the Phillies? When you when you heard that you were uh, being traded to the Phillies? Oh man, it was pretty crazy. So I got I got the phone call in November, uh, 2007 November, and uh, I, I kind of had a feeling that you know I might get traded because uh, you know we had a we had just kind of had one of those seasons where we were our, our team as a whole we were guys were starting to get more money and we just underperformed like crazy. So a lot of us knew that might happen, but all of a sudden uh, you know I'm driving uh, home from dinner from Denver one night in November and I get the phone call and it's Ruben Amaro and he's like. Hey Brad, I just wanted to let you know uh, we're really excited. Uh, we just made a trade for you and, and Eric Bruntlett, and uh, we're we're really excited to have you guys come over to the Phillies. And I was just like, Whoa, oh, okay, wow. Uh, so you know, it was like it was a quick phone call. I mean, it was like maybe just two minutes. They're just like, we're real excited. We'll give you a call here in a few days when things kind of settle down. And but we just wanted to let you know. I remember I got off the phone and I was like, oh my gosh. And it's weird because the first time you're you're traded, you have these kind of mixed feelings of like. It's so awesome that somebody wanted me, you know, so bad that they made a trade for me, uh, kind of juxtaposed with, uh, I can't believe those Stan Houston Astros didn't want me anymore. <laughs> so uh, it, it's kind of a weird feeling. And I think, uh, you know, everybody kind of goes through it. Like the first time you're traded, you have a, it kind of creates a little bit of a fire, lights a match a little bit, I think. And, you know, then, then you start, of course, start uh, in your mind thinking about Philly. And the only thing I really hadn't been to Philly a ton, so the only thing I really kind of remember about the city was the hotel we stayed in and just kind of being at the hotel so i didn't know much about uh the city obviously i knew a little bit about the history of it but i hadn't been around downtown i hadn't been you know in south jersey and, and out with west you know uh, philadelphia so i i didn't really know uh what i was getting into but i mean what a unbelievable experience that turned out to be but uh you know at the time you're just kind of thinking what do i do with my family i got to get some housing you know we had uh uh, we had our daughter, and, and, and at that point, we were we were hoping, we were planning on trying to, uh, you know, be be able to have another um, baby uh, in in the fall the following year. So you're thinking about a family and where you're going to live. So then you start calling around and trying to find a real estate agent and everything else. It was a pretty crazy, pretty crazy time. Pretty crazy time, and uh, you're coming to you know Philadelphia. You don't know the city uh, that well, but how about from a baseball standpoint? Did you know uh, the team? Uh, was on the rise and certainly were going to be in the mix in 2008? Oh, yeah. I mean, and probably I should have mentioned that because that's one thing that, that obviously jumped in my mind right away was not just that I got traded, but I got traded to a team that was, like, on their way up because, honestly, the last thing you want to hear is you got traded to a team that is just, you know, that you know the, the wheels are kind of coming off and the organization's going the other direction. But 
uh, of course, because we had played Philly, you know, at the end of 2007, and uh, we had done some, uh, you know, over the prior couple of years, we had some really good, you know, kind of end of the season battles with, with both of us were playing well. But seeing the way the Phillies finished in 07 and knowing I was coming over to that team, one of the questions I asked Ruben tomorrow because Brett Myers had actually come off of a very good season where he was closing. And I so I said I was like Ruben, I was like this this is great. I was like I, I really appreciate it. I was like, am I going to be closing? I remember asking that, and he was like, listen, he's like we absolutely want you closing because we want to put Brett Myers back in the rotation. We think he's our, our team will be better off if he's doing that, uh, and we want you closing. So at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. So I, I was going to get to continue to close, and I was going to get to do it on a team that was absolutely chock full of superstar young players. And so yeah, no, I I I realized. Uh, quickly what a what a cool thing for me that was going to be what a great opportunity that was going to be and i tell you what you know obviously 2008 one of the greatest seasons as for a closer ever obviously you were perfect uh but but a lot of people forget that in february of that year you tore your meniscus right in your right knee uh and i think that was fairly early well obviously it was february so it was for spring training so who would have thought that you'd have that you know go through that and then if you could look into crystal ball right there and realize you know what you were about to accomplish that year it's pretty amazing well i'll tell you what that that was in that was a really bad moment in spring training i felt awful i i uh I remember diving for a ball and I felt uh, something kind of give in my right knee and I was just like, ah, what is that? And then, you know, my right knee is the knee I push off of, the leg I push off of when I'm pitching. So the next day I come to the field and I'm trying to push off that leg and it's just not happening. I'm like, son of a gun. So, uh, you know, I have to tell them and then I got to go, you know, to Philly to get an MRI and then, okay, you got a torn meniscus and we need to take care of that. So uh, you're going to be out, you know, four weeks or so. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this just is not, I mean, it's not happening right now. Of course, uh, I was talking to Brett about that. He's like, I'll just tell him I'm going to close right now. Uh, so he was, he immediately wanted his job back when I went down for a little bit, which, which, uh, you know, they were like, all right, all right, Brett, you're, you're, you're going to be starting. So, uh, let's just pump the brakes on that. And, and the other thing that fortunately for me, torn meniscus, um, is a, not a good an injury to have, but it's also not the worst thing you can have. And, and I remember after I had the surgery, I little, literally was, uh, walking out of the hospital, um, and uh, felt way better, like, right away. And it didn't take me the full amount of time to get back on the field. Now, I missed a couple games at the very beginning of the season. But uh, otherwise, I, I was able to still play catch and everything else uh, while I was trying to rehab that, that uh, surgery. So it was, it was fortunate in that it wasn't a bigger surgery. But it was, at the time, I mean, you're not thinking that. At the time, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened now of all time. Oh, well, you know, and it's just so, Brad, it's inspirational sometimes, you know, you hear uh, athletes who get, go through injuries and the way you responded and, you know, there's so much dedication and work that is put in. And uh, I think as fans, you know, people forget about uh, how much you, you put in. So it's, it's, it's great to, to, to know that you had the season that you did after that is awesome. I want to ask you um, about uh, Chooch because obviously, I mean, 2008, everything, you know, to win a World Series, everything has to go right, right? I mean, the defense... Uh, behind you, uh, you know, young guys mixing with, you know, getting some uh, contributions from young guys, a veteran, you know, having the veterans uh, play well, bullpen, starting pitching. But talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, your relationship with uh, Carlos Ruiz. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, because I didn't know Chooch very well, uh, you know, a little bit from playing against him, but, but not a ton. And going into 2008, uh, you know, I, I remember kind of singling him out and kind of saying, Hey, let's make, I want to make sure I get a few bullpen before I even, you know, pitch in the game just because I wanted to know, you know, kind of where he was at and, and uh, also with Coast as well. 
but with Chooch, just kind of the first bullpen I threw him, I just remember I was like, dang, this guy is unbelievable receiving the baseball. Like, he, you know, I had just come off of having Brad Austin in Houston, who is, you know, famous for, for being able to receive a baseball. And, you know, he's had gold gloves and everything else. But when I threw to Chooch, it was a little bit different. He, he just kind of had a way of, of receiving the ball that, that really felt like wherever I, wherever I threw it, he was going to end up being a strike. And then I com- you kind of combine that with his attitude because he was still kind of a young guy with a lot to prove, and, and he was really wanting to work hard with the pitchers, and he was just asking me so many intelligent questions about, hey, I know you throw your slider you know, back foot to lefties, down the way to righties. Do you ever start to throw it like uh, to the other side of the plate, uh, to the right-hand part of the plate, like into righties, or, or you know, a backdoor slider to lefties? And I was like, you know, I haven't really. I've just tried to throw the hell out of it as hard as I could at every point in my career prior to coming over here. And I remember in spring training, we started working on that and I started throwing that pitch. And honestly, it was one of the biggest keys to my success in 2008 because hitters had no idea that I was going to all of a sudden start throwing a slider on the other part of the plate, or I was going to try to start lo- uh, locating it, uh, which is just not something I had done prior to that. So Chooch kind of came up with that thought and I just immediately rolled with it because I was like, why not? That seems to make sense. And uh, fortunately it just started working right out of the chute and uh, we just went with it all year. But um, I, I think that just kind of shows, like, you know, Chooch's attitude and his kind of mindset was always trying to work hard for the pitcher and trying to make the pitcher better. And I just I, I just love the guy because I remember, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, he had a great offensive night. And we were in the, in the, in the locker room afterward, and he just had his head in his hands. And uh, he was just so pissed off. And, you know, we ended up losing the game, like, I don't know, 7-5 to five or something. And, and uh, even though he had a great night uh, offensively, he was so pissed off at what happened to his pitching staff that night. So that just kind of shows you, you know, his character and what, what it was all about for him out there. He wanted to win. He didn't really care about his uh, individual numbers ever. You know, Brad, too, the uh, – and. You know, I see a lot of these guys down at fantasy camp, but it's it, the the bullpen itself. You had Ryan Madsen, you had Scott Ayer, you had Flash. You know, you had a Clay Condry, you had a bunch of guys uh, that you guys seemed like a really tight knit group and a fun. You know, obviously you have a lot of downtime in the bullpen. But I'd, I'd actually talked to Scott Ayer not too long ago. He said you guys like really did bond together. You guys every road trip, you guys would go to a sushi, uh, find a different sushi restaurant. Yeah. I guess <laughs> someone would know. And he said you actually had a uh, you had a nickname. Would you like to uh, tell everyone your nickname uh, based on eating? I think, was it the- uh, well, yeah. So I was the spread killer or also known as the crusher. <laughs> uh, either one. And uh, yeah, so, so this is definitely true. I mean, on both accounts. First of all, we, uh, we had a great uh, super tight bullpen. And, and um, you know, I, I, it's amazing when I look back and think about, you know, none of us really knew each other with the exception of the guys that were already on the Phillies. But me coming over and Chad Durbin and Scott Aaron. Uh, you know, we, we got along so well, uh, just right from the shoot. I don't know, I don't know what it was, but, um, you know, I think, I think we all complimented each other on the field, but, but certainly we had a great time off the field too. And we would, wherever we would go, we, you know, we'd have lunches together, bullpen lunches, but we'd also make sure we found time to eat really good food. And, and it ended up being, we just had this obsession with sushi in 2008 and 9, I think. We just, everywhere we went, you know, every city we flew into the first night, we were finding the, you know, the best sushi place and we were going to go there and, uh, you know, someone was going to end up with a nasty bill that night, but uh, it was it was all worth it. We just had, you know, we ordered sake and just, you know, had a great time. And, and just like the nights were just, you know, I don't know, we'd end up being there for like three or four hours, I think, and, and uh, <laughs> kind of stumbling out of there, but with a great meal in our bellies. And uh, yeah, we, we had a real good time. But it, but it, it's also true that I that I, I buried through that. I, honestly, like, <laughs> I, I eat way too much, and I know it's going to catch up with me at some point and haunt me, but. Uh, I'm going to ride my uh, my metabolism until then and 
like I said, at some point it'll haunt me. Uh, but I love eating, that's for sure. And when you guys were out in the bullpen, obviously there's a lot of downtime, there's practical jokes, there's stories. I mean, you've got, I, I imagine either Scott Ayer or Ryan Madsen would be the one that kept everyone, uh, kept everything light. Well, Scott Ayer never, there was no off button with Scott Ayer. Like, we'd walk <laughs> by him and we'd be like, off, off. And we'd try and just, like, push him in the shoulder, like, trying to find an off button because I could just talk forever. <laughs> right. um, and he would just not stop, but it was great because it kept everyone loose and he always had something to say. And, and uh, you know, I, I really miss Scott. Scott Ayer, by the way, one of the most, like, genuine and sincere. He might not stop talking, but super genuine you know guy that always had your back and uh is a great friend to have awesome friend and so yes he would keep going and then madison would come up with the most ridiculous you know stunts and topics every single day that would just keep you rolling and laughing i mean he would i'll tell you what for a guy that was as locked in as he was when he pitched he would have ridiculous fan interactions for the first five uh, innings or so first five or six innings until you know he kind of flipped the switch and got serious but he would be messing with the fans and doing all kinds of stuff and uh it, it was Honestly, you really need that guy down there in the bullpen, and then you combine him with Nick Billmeyer down there, our bullpen coach. And oh, you really right, I forgot, it. I forgot <laughs> about that. Talking and, right. Yeah, it just, uh, I mean, just endless, you know, uh, ways to keep yourself loose. So, you know, I think sometimes grind out, sometimes guys kind of mentally get grinded out, uh, if uh, ground out, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, uh, be, because they're concentrating too much on the game uh, every single day for five innings before they come in, and by the time they get in there, they're just, you know, it's, it's too much anxiety. So having those guys down there really kept everybody loose. And, you know, okay, now we got to concentrate on the game fine. But the first five innings fly by, and we just have a great time every day. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I want to fast forward to Game 5 World Series. Uh, you know, it, it, we get rained out in the middle of the game. I mean, it, to me, it's it's a historic moment in baseball history. I mean, it never has, has uh, you know, in a World Series game, you have a two-day rain delay. But uh, what were yeah. you thinking? What were you feeling? Where were you when we resumed play, uh, you, know, for the, you know, for that seventh inning of Game 5 World Series? Well, I, it was, you know, I think for, for a closer, it's a tough place to be mentally because, you know, you, you know you're coming into the game. You're you're, you're going to be doing it as soon as we resume, but uh, or you know after a couple innings after we resume. But you know the game gets canceled, and then you get all you know. You, oh my gosh, we're on the you know on the brink of winning this thing. So you know the night the game was rained out, I didn't sleep much, thinking the next day we're going to play, and it, you know this is this is going to be <laughs> a pretty important game. So you're not sleeping much, and then all of a sudden that one gets canceled. So now you're floating on adrenaline again. And the next night, you're not sleeping much. And so, I, I honestly, mentally, it's just kind of torture because uh, as much as you try and take your mind off the game, uh, when you're, like, on the brink of winning a World Series, it's just nearly impossible to do that. And, of course, then we had to just wait all those days for the rain to go away. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a fun place to be mentally, but also, um, you know, you just got to try and find things, like, to, to keep yourself occupied and to keep your mind occupied so you don't constantly think about it when, you know, when you're at home, when you're with your family. Uh, and everything else. So um, th I guess that's where I was, was just trying to find ways to not think about what was what was going to happen on the field uh, and all those rain delays uh, getting, uh, you know, leading up to the actual finish of the game. Mm. And then what that final moment when obviously you have Hinsky up there and you're one strike away, what, what was in your, what was going through your mind at that point right there? Like, were you just totally convicted saying, I'm putting this guy away with a slider and, and I know it was going through his mind. I think Ryan Howard's forearm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that was afterwards. Yes. <laughs> right. That ended up going through my hand about 30 seconds later. Um, no, you know what? So Hansky and, and I love the guy. He's uh, he's actually the, uh, um, 
the uh, commissioner of our fantasy football league, I'd say, right now. Is that right? But, uh, <laughs> so we, we've stayed in touch. Yeah, yeah, we've stayed in touch over the years. And, uh, he's a great dude. But, you know, so I'd only faced him once in my career prior to that at bat. And I threw him, like, uh, I think it was the second or third pitch. I threw him a fastball, and he just hit He just hit a line drive off the wall. And I remember that very specifically. And in that moment, you know, when he when they announced him as a pitch hitter, Rich Doobie came out and Chooch and, and Ryan Howe, we all met on the mound, all the infielders. And Dubes was like, hey, you know you know what you're going to do here? And I was like, yeah. I was like, last time I faced him, I threw him a fastball, and he waffled it, so I'm going straight fighters. And Doobie looked at me like, what? Like, he wasn't expecting my response to be that. So uh, he was like, all right. And then uh, and Chooch was like, okay. He's like, I'm not going to put any fingers down. Just keep throwing sliders until he's out. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's do it. So, uh, you know, he gets up there, and uh, we, we get ahead in the count, and I get some good ones, and then uh, – you know, and then the actual one that that, uh, that I struck him out with, I, I could really feel the grip of my glove when I came set. My fingers were on the seam, and you know, the tack on the ball was just right. So I kind of just tried to take a deep breath and tell myself, like, make sure you execute the pitch. That was the one thing that I, I really tried to stay in the pitch and not let my mind think about what was going to come because uh, I, I think you know when you do that, sometimes that moment never arrives. You really just—it's it, hard to stay in the moment. But uh, I felt like that year, for the most part, I was able to do it. Oh, awesome. And then, uh, well, and then, you know, let's see, the next night we went, you know, win the World Series. The next night, I don't know if you remember, the Phillies had a, uh, a little a, a party, a tent party outside the ballpark. Uh, just the trophy was there. The employees got to, you know, see the trophy and, you know, players were there. And I remember having, uh, I was at a table with Jimmy and Greg Dobbs. And I remember talking about, and I, I'm born and raised in the Philly area, Brad. And I remember saying, you guys have no idea what is about to happen tomorrow you know, with the parade. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and how about you? Did you have any clue that it would be as big as it was? Oh, no way. And, and, you know, I mean, I think to your point, like I had no idea the amount of people that came up to me. One thing that like, honestly, for me really sticks out because maybe it's because I grew up in Colorado, you know, where, where we had a Rockies team come in, I think it was 92 or 93 was the first year. So when people would come up to me and, uh, you know, fans or whoever, and just say, you have no idea what this means for my family, for my grandparents. You know, all these, and I was, I was just thinking about that. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a, uh, a really big moment for, for people and their families that have been fans for generations. And that was just like the coolest feeling for me that I could be a part of that with their families. So, you know, that was an amazing thing to hear. But then the parade to see visually was, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. No, you're right. I, no one had any idea. There's no way, you know, getting on those floats at the beginning of the parade. We had any idea that when we turned that corner down Broad Street, what was about to happen. It was just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was like every time we turned a corner uh, around Central City, it just like more and more people started showing. It was like people coming out of, you know, office building windows. Like, I just, it was like Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. But <laughs> it just got bigger and bigger as we started going down Broad Street. And uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I do, I will say this. I wish there would have been a bathroom on the float because I wouldn't have, you know, chugged a six pack right before I, <laughs> I jumped on that float. Had, there, had I known there wasn't going to be one, and also like you know, fans throwing up, you know, beers and stuff on the float. I was, you know, I mean, geez, it seems crazy to think about in 2020, but like back then, I just, you know, was happy to just pop that beer open and give them a toast and. <laughs> You know, whatever. Yeah, Brad, I would describe it. People would ask me about the parade because, you know, we, Tom and I were both on the floats. And I said it was like we liberated Paris. Like, you know, <laughs> people were going like crying and they're handing you a bottle, bottle of wine and yeah. a bottle of vodka and a case of beer. <laughs> thanking us. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, one of my favorite people on this earth, uh, and I mean it sincerely, and I think Tom would agree, 
probably is one of your favorite too, Charlie Manuel. Talk about uh, your relationship yeah. with Charlie and what Charlie meant to you that year, or that not just that year, what what Charlie means to you. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Chuck and I are, are, are real good friends, and he is, um, you know, I guess for me, he was a different type of manager than I had ever had in my career coming over from Houston where I had a couple. Uh, he was the first real players manager where, like, literally, and, and, you know, this really kind of, I think, sunk in over the next couple of years of my career, 2009 not being a great year for me. But when, when Charlie would have my back, when he would tell me, Listen, I don't care, you know, what, what the media says, uh, you, you know, you're going to be my closer. And I'd be like, all right, you know, that's just maybe manager speak if you're going through a bad spell. But then all of a sudden, you know, like somebody the next day will be like, man, he really has your back. Maybe somebody in the media say, will say that. But you realize over time, like, he's one of the most genuine, authentic guys. And he is the ultimate definition of a player's manager because he didn't give a rat's ass what the media thought. He didn't give a rat's ass what other people thought. He was going to do things that he thought were going to be best for the team. He never got sucked in by, you know, the pressure of the time, which is more than I can say about a lot of managers and the pressure that the, that a lot of managers feel, um, you know, from front office, from the media, from fans. They, they, they feel the need sometimes to, to make some changes. Chuck never did. He went with his guys. He was loyal with his guys. And, uh, you know, that's, as a manager, obviously, that's just the one thing a player, it's a player's dream to have a manager like that. But honestly, off the field, I just love hanging out with Chuck too because, just his, you know, the way he is, just how genuine he is. And, and uh, obviously he's got great stories for everybody too, but, you know, we love talking baseball together. I mean, he asks me all the time about different things and, and uh, I'll ask him all the time about different things. And uh, He just has a really, uh, it's an interesting slant on wisdom that he has. And I, and I really enjoy hearing it. Uh, you know, the way he says things and everything else, it's, it's awesome for me. Well, we, we are, we're with you, Brad. We, we, we all love Charlie. Who doesn't love Charlie? Uh, hey, uh, when right. John and I were talking about, uh, like who we were going to have on as a guest, we we're like, uh, oh, yeah, Brad hasn't been on our podcast yet. And it's like, we both said at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, and he's, he's doing that archaeology thing. We got to ask him about that. It's like perfect for our podcast. Uh, and I know we've already, you know, talked baseball and, you know, we're not going to keep you forever, but we'd love to hear a little bit more on how you got started. And, and Brad, uh, also, and, uh, this is the first time in history <laughs> yes. that two baseball guys, are on a baseball podcast uh, that are religious studies majors. Yeah, uh, that's you, you, John. I was, I was not a religious studies major. John was, but uh, I know you were, Brad. Right. But uh, yeah, how, how fascinating. Yeah, that's right. How fascinating, though. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, and I absolutely love, you know, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do when I retired. I felt like religious archaeology was going to be something I had always thought about doing, always wanted to do. Like every other person that watches Indiana Jones, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So um, I, I wanted to actually do that. I didn't just want to kind of study and learn about it, though. I kind of wanted to participate in, you know, in, in trying to unearth uh, things. And so uh, I jumped into the archaeology component of it, and I, and I ended up switching somewhere along the line uh, from religious archaeology to more specifically uh, focusing on ancient Roman archaeology. And so I, I finished my... Uh, religious studies degree, my, my uh, undergraduate degree, uh, my bachelor degree, when I, uh, when I just stopped baseball, I was able to get right into that and finish that. And then I went uh, and got my, uh, my graduate degree from the University of Leicester in ancient Roman archaeology. And the reason I did it from the University of Leicester is it was actually a, uh, the, the schools I'm around in Colorado, uh, uh, University of Denver, uh, CU, they, they didn't actually have any kind of graduate degree program uh, that was, focused in you know in archaeology really at all 
So it was something I kind of had to do online. But the best part of it was that I had to do field work to complete the degree. So over the next couple summers, actually uh, now it's like six out of the last eight summers, I've gone over to uh, to Europe to, to excavate and uh, to take part in those excavations and to be a part of some really cool teams out there. And uh, it's been an amazing thing to do. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I absolutely love it. It's, it's like one of the, you know, for me, there's like only two things where 10 hours could go by and it'll feel like the blink of an eye. And it's fly fishing and it's doing archaeology and, you know, sifting through the dirt with a trowel and not knowing what you're going to come across. I could, I could stay out there for, for days and days and not even know I'm out there and not even eat or anything, which is saying a lot considering how much I eat. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just for me, it's awesome and I love it and I, it's kind of a passion. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't done baseball, I would have, I would have certainly gone into that field. And being able to go into that field now is, uh, I think, rewarding and it kind of, uh, is also, I think, a good example for my kids to uh, to kind of pursue their passion. Yeah, well, what a great uh, what a great message that is. I know John's over here; he wants to give you a quiz, but I have to say this one thing, uh, Brad. I was doing a little research, and uh, I came across a headline uh, that was on online. But the headline read: I just thought it was funny. Retired All Star closer Brad Lidge is a freaking archaeologist now. <laughs> that was the headline. It's a freaking <laughs> it's a freaking archaeologist now, you know. But uh, it's. It's so cool. Somebody that freaked out somebody clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John, you ready to give Brad his yep. quiz? And Brad, right. as I said, it's eight questions that are centered around you. Uh, so you should have an inside advantage. Uh, we, we'd like to, uh, the, the bar to aim for is six out of eight, right? And if he does get six out of eight, uh, Tom, you're going to get him saying fanatic related. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Actually, you know what? I've got a Pearl Jam shirt. I oh, do. there you go. I've got a Pearl Jam shirt, Brad, that I'm going to send you. But he's got to get okay. six of eight right. He's got to get six of eight, but there's some leeway here. We'll, we, uh, we, can, we can fudge this. All right, a little, little pressure now. All right, are, are you ready? First question. Uh, you went to Cherry Creek High School, obviously out in uh, Greenwood Village, Colorado. Which of these celebrities, multiple choice, which of these celebrities did not go to Cherry Creek High School? I'm going to give you uh, four celebrities. One did not go to Cherry Creek High School. Okay. A okay. is author, mountain climber, Aaron Ralston, who inspired the movie 127 Hours, starring James Franco. B is Kate and Casey, yep. which is an American country music duo. They're also identical twin sisters. Paul Rubens, who's better known as Pee Wee Herman. And Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Which one is it? Is it... The- <laughs> The mountain climber, the country that'd music Paul, duo. That'd be Paul Rubens. <laughs> Paul Rubens <laughs> Even I knew that. That can't be right. <laughs> Paul Rubens is correct. All right. Which of these celebrities did not go to Notre Dame? Okay. So again, mm. four celebrities. Ooh, okay. Three went there. One didn't. Uh, A is Mike Lindell, who's the My Pillow guy. B is former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. C is talk show host Regis Philbin. And D is Alan Page, Pro Football Hall of Famer, and he's now the Associate Justice of the Minnesota Supreme Court. Pretty accomplished guy right there. So you got Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. Mike Lindell is the Mike Lindell. He's the My Pillow guy. You see the commercials everywhere. Uh, uh, Secretary of Rice, Condoleezza Rice, Regis Philbin, or Alan Page. Oh, I know Regis obviously went there. I'm pretty sure Alan Page did, which leads to Condoleezza Rice and the My Pillow guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's got to be uh, Condoleezza Rice did not go there. No, she did go there. Oh, she did go really? there. Yeah, oh Mike, my gosh, how did I not know that? Yeah, Mike, did she really go to yeah, Mike, Mike, like that? Yeah, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, went to University of Minnesota. So <laughs> it's close. All right. Oh, my gosh. You know, you know, 
Ah, That's all right. I think you're going to be fine. I I know you're going to be fine. All right. Question number three. How many career strikeouts do you have? Uh, A, 525, B, 799, C, 616, and D, 880. Uh, I'm going to go 525, 799, 616, or 880? 799. 799 is correct. Dang. All right. Here's another one. Ready? How many home runs did you give up in 2008? You had 69.1 innings pitched. How many home runs did you give up in 2008? Was it 9, 12, 16, or 2? Um, that's got to be 2. 2 is yeah. correct. It's got to be. <laughs> right. right? All right, so you're on a roll. All right, now this is – see, the next two are right up your alley, right? Um, okay. Final Jeopardy question from Monday, September 14th. Uh, the category, and I used to go to tell Chad Durbin the final Jeopardy question. And one time it was something about Galileo. It was basically a statue, you know, is, is in the Vatican right now to commemorate the time this person was uh, imprisoned. Chad Durbin didn't get it. Then I said, do you think anybody on the team will get it? And he's like, Brad Lidge will get it in two seconds. I went down there and Brad's like, without even batting an eye, said uh, Galileo Galilee. So he even knew his first name and last name. So... I nice. think I think you'll be already. So the the category is famous buildings. Uh, the Roman building with a name from the Greek was described by Michelangelo as coming from angelic and not human design. Is that the Colosseum A, B the Basilica of Saint Peter, C the Pantheon, or D Circus Maximus? That's the Pantheon. Pantheon is correct. See, I told you it was right up your alley. Oh baby! And there's another one right up That's your alley. Right. Because one of the coolest places I've ever been, and I'm sure you've been there too, is Pompeii. So the excavation of Pompeii yeah. was fascinating because it discovered a culture that came to an end when Mount Vesuvius erupted. When did this eruption occur? Was it 3rd century AD, 1st century BC, 1st century AD, 3rd century BC? No, no, the 3rd century AD, that was in the year 70. Uh, right, 79 AD. You got it right. It was 1st century AD. 79 AD. Okay. Right. Yep, you got it. So you, he said, he said 3rd century, but, it, but you're right. Yes. You, you said 70. You year right. 79, I mean, right. You got, you got close to your right. I'm not even sure what year I was even born. Wait, wait, wait. Third, oh, 3rd century. Sorry, I thought you meant 3rd quarter. No, of you, the no you're right. No, 1st century AD. You got yeah, it. You're we're, on we're, it we're giving that to you because yeah. you even got the, the year. 79 AD. All right. You're on a roll, Brad. You got one wrong so far. All right. Which manager had the strongest dislike for the Philly Fanatic? Okay. In history, which manager uh-huh. had the strongest dislike for the Philly Fanatic? Was it A, Lou Pinella, okay. B, Tommy Lasorda, C, Tony La Russa, or D, Dusty Baker? Hmm. Fanatic's got no a smile on his face right here. He's, he's, no way is it fake. He's, he's, too, he's too nice of a guy. It's going to be, it's going to be, I, 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 it's going to be Lasorda or Pinella. Uh, Grizzle, go, what was the third option? Uh, Tony Larusa, I'll, I'll 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 give you a hint that you're you're on the right track. Oh. So you've got a fifty fifty right here. It's one of those two, Pinella and Lasorda. Yeah, um, I'm gonna get well, well. Lou Pinella hated just about everybody and everything, if I remember right. Um, but I'm gonna go with Tommy Lasorda. Tommy yes. Lasorda is correct. Correct. And Brad, uh, there was a player. Can we say the guy's name? 
who stole the who Steve Sachs. <laughs> Steve Sachs would uh, sneak a jersey and into the fanatics room, and they they dress up the dummy. You got to go back and see videos. And literally, the fanatic, the Tommy Lasorda would go nuts because he'd see the fanatic beaten up on the Tommy Lasorda <laughs> dummy. And there's one fan. there was one time there was actual fight where yeah. the, the Tommy Lasorda came running out of the dugout and got in a shoving match with the yeah, fanatic. Yeah, whacked the fanatic uh, <laughs> over the head with the dummy, and oh uh, yeah, it was ugly. It was ugly. All right, Brad, you already you already qualified. You already qualified. So, you, but this is your bonus uh, question to go seven for eight. Okay. We mentioned Charlie okay. Manuel. Uh, how many home runs did Charlie Manuel have during his four seasons in the Nippon Professional Baseball League? He played with the Yakult Swallows and the Kanetsu Buffaloes. Again, four seasons. How many home runs did he have? Did he have okay. A fifty eight, B eighty nine, C one hundred six, D one eighty nine? I'm going to say 106. He had 189. How about wow. that? Four, four seasons. Years. And he had, he had a career- 189 in four seasons? Yep, and Man. he had a 303 career average. Uh, and his nickname was, as you probably know, Aka Oni, which is the Red Devil. So, yeah, how about that? 189 wow. home runs, Charlie. He was like the MVP of the what? Pacific League one year. He's always with Sadahara O, you know, battling for the big uh, home run title. Uh, big stud over well, there. Well, I, 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 I knew he was kind of a legend out there, but I figured – 189, that's like almost 50 a year. That's crazy. Good yep. Chuck. Yep. That's awesome. Awesome. Brad, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for uh, calling in. Thanks for doing our podcast. Uh, we, sh- we sure hope things get back to normal, and John and I are seeing you down in spring training, and, uh, you and, know, and things Brad, are back to normal. And, Brad, you're still doing the Sirius show, right? The radio show on Sirius oh, yeah. XM? Yep. And I what- sure am. Sirius XM, uh, XM89, uh, Sirius 209, XM89, so... Uh, it, it, it's inside pitch. It's uh, uh, two to five Eastern time, and I'm doing it. Uh, you know, it's about three days a week. I, I alternate with a guy here in Colorado, Ryan Spielberg. You guys might remember. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah. So we uh, we alternate uh, on that one, but uh, yeah, still going strong on that. And where can they find you on Twitter? Is, do you, are you on social media? Um, I am. I I, <laughs> I will tell you that I'm brutal uh, on Twitter. So you know, I don't I don't tweet very often, but it's sliders and saves. Uh, it, it, uh, is my is my handle there. Great. Sliders and saves, 54. Well, really appreciate you coming on with us today. Yeah, you bet, guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for teeing me up on some of those questions, too. I, I feel like some of them were layups. So. Uh, now I get my Pearl Jam shirt, and I'm really happy about that. Exactly right. <laughs> a, a career high here. All right, Brad, hey, thanks again, all right? All right, guys, uh, take care. All Good right. Talking to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Brad. Brad Lidge, John. We love that guy. The one, people yeah. always ask me, and I'm sure you get yes. asked the question too, you know, who are the favorite uh, people you've ever had to work with? You know, I started in 94, so 27 seasons. And Bradley is always on that, always top, on that list. top five, if not top three Agreed. list. Just, just a true, uh, he's got class, he's mm. smart, he's fun, he's got a, just a great attitude. And, and you know, that, he, had a, he struggled in one of the years, I think it was 2009. Yeah, yeah right and after you know his what? big year. He was... He was accountable. Yeah. He was at his, you know, I'm in the clubhouse a lot. At that time I was. And he was always at, you know, always ready for the reporters. Whereas a lot of guys, if they blow a save or they have a, a couple bad saves in a row, they, you know, they're going to duck off and, and go into the trainer's room. Or he was so accountable, always had a smile, not a smile on his face, but he, but he always, yeah. uh, you know, dealt with the media great. He's one of the most upstanding 
classy uh, guys you'll ever meet. Yeah, class act. And, uh, you, you know, uh, we mentioned his relationship with Charlie. You know, Charlie stuck with him in 2009, uh, you know, going into that playoff series. He And the fans, I think, were a little nervous because, you know, Brad had an off year. Uh, but uh, he came through in that series. Yep. Uh, and I just think it's also interesting, you know, we had Mitch on last week and how much, you know, Fregosi said, you're my guy. And Charlie said the same thing to Brad. And you can just tell it gives these guys a closer with a closer mentality that much more confidence yep. when you know your manager is going to be you know behind you. So yep. a couple of great guests. Uh, John, I guess we're going to wrap this up. We're getting close to the end of the season. Uh, so, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But uh, hopefully we'll be back and, uh, you know, doing our thing again soon. Exactly right. What uh, else are we going to do, Tom? Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in as always. And we will see you next time on Philly's Backstage. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.